You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 95 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I'm your host, Brad Rowland, and on today's show, it's a fine Thursday. There's plenty to talk about in Hawksland, and uh, while it's an off day for the team as they prepare to go into Toronto to take on the Raptors on Friday night, I thought I'd take this opportunity to uh, basically bring you a report card show. Um, this is the first time we've done this this season. Uh, the Hawks have played exactly 25 games to this point, and while you know most of the roster has not appeared in all 25 games, there's plenty of data to at least get a, a couple of early season observations, uh, check in and get, hand out some grades for what the players have done to this point in the year. Uh, for those of you who are w- with an, uh, an eye and an ear, tune into the greater NBA uh, landscape. The uh, NBA basically uh, made huge news on Wednesday night, uh, first reported by, I believe it was Adrian Wojnarowski of Yahoo, and now widely reported across the internet. Uh, the NBA's uh, collective bargaining agreement has been extended for a number of years. Uh, at, a, at, a later, at a later time and date, when I have more info and more time to kind of comb through some of the information, and we will definitely talk, talk a little bit more about the CB, about the new CBA and the extension and how that will affect the Atlanta Hawks. I think the biggest thing is that Paul Millsap is now eligible to uh, sign a max uh, a five year max contract as they changed the, as the NBA changed its. Uh, what 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 was used what used to be the over thirty six rule now it's the over thirty eight rule and without getting too deep into that uh, Millsap's contract status will definitely be directly affected so that's something that we could talk about on a future show on a future show but before uh, you know without all that out of the way I do want to get into uh, the, the the I guess the report card of, of sorts you know handing out some grades so we'll start with point guards we'll go from there to the wings and then finally with the big men at the very end so hopefully you guys uh, take a liking to this podcast if you like it let me know and we'll do it again later if not. It might be a one-time thing. We'll see how this goes, and uh, let's get things started with uh, the point guard position. Uh, Dennis Schroeder uh, obviously is the biggest name at the position. There are only two po- only two players to get to at point guard, which uh, you know Schroeder. Couple, it's, it's been sort of a mixed bag this season. He's sixty number sixty nine overall in the NBA in an uh, ESPN's RPM metric among point guards. That is uh, obviously a very damning statistic in in terms of Dennis's per- uh, performance this season. But there are some numbers that are much more kind to Dennis throughout this year. So far, he has a career high in PER at 16.1, also a career high in true shooting percentage at 53.2%, uh, which is not not incredibly stellar, but certainly you know it's always good to have a career high in your fourth season. Um, he has a similar assist rate to last year. With a slightly lower turnover rate, which is, you know, I think Dennis pretty much can, he still probably turns the ball over a little bit too much for most people's liking, including myself. But uh, knowing that he's cutting down on that even just a little bit is probably, uh, at the very least, pretty encouraging. On a per 36-minute basis, Schroeder is averaging 19.6 points and 7.5 assists per game. Uh, not per, well, per 36 minutes, as I said before. Uh, that's very similar to the couple of uh, last two previous years. Um, but, you know, that, with, with a caveat that he is knocking down 36.8% of his three-pointers this year, that is definitely unsustainable in my mind. Uh, knowing what we know right now about Schroeder, uh, I'd be pretty surprised if that was actually what he is at this point. And it's, he's, pre, he's being pretty... Uh, Pretty well buoyed by the fact that he's made nine of it, nine of his last 16 threes over the last four games. That's kind of a small sample size issue that happens to be we're, we're catching him on a very, very high point with it, with his shooting. But I think it's at least possible Shooter has improved. 
as a shooter. He looks it looks to me and has throughout the season like a little bit more smooth. And going back and looking at last year's tape a little bit, uh, his jump his jumper does, does look better coming off the hands. So maybe it's a little bit of of uh, progression happening there with with Dennis. Um, but you know, with all that to say, I think it's been a mixed bag. He's been pretty good uh, for the most part, especially lately. I think we if we had done this a, a couple of weeks ago, um, shooter would have certainly been uh, given given a lower grade. In the end, I think it's about what I expected on the whole for Dennis. He's a he's a maddening player at times when, he, when he's on a hot streak as he, as he is right now. It's you, you can see him as being pretty good when he has a couple of rough games. You want to kind of uh, you know cringe every time every time he takes the ball to the rim. So uh, I think overall my grade for Dennis would be a B, would be a B minus for this season. You know. Probably a little bit better than I thought, honestly. Yeah, I think it always depends on your expectations. You'll, you'll find that as we get through these grades is that uh, there's some guys who I had lower expectations for than most and guys had higher expectations for than most. So I'm kind of grading on a curve as a result. But I think Dennis has probably been as good or a little maybe even slightly better than I thought he would be this year. So I'll hand out a B- and go from there. Uh, the second point guard, of course, the only other point guard on the roster is Malcolm Delaney. Uh, first and foremost, his individual numbers are not good in the, in the traditional sense. Uh, he has an 8.4 PER, a 47% true shooting percentage, and a 20.6. That's that's not a misprint. 20.6% from three-point range uh, for the 27-year-old rookie out of Virginia Tech by way of Europe. Uh, obviously, that's not good. Um, I have to say that as a uh, I'm, I, if you're if you're a long-time listener, you would know that I'm a vocal uh, guy who, in terms of praising Delaney. I really I really like that contract, and I think he's been better than these numbers would indicate, but they are not good, so we should lead off with that. Uh, on the on the bright side, though, the Hawks are more than 12 points better per 100 possessions when he plays versus when he doesn't. Uh, Delaney has the highest net rating on the team of a player that actually has real playing time, so uh, for whatever reason, uh, Delaney, whenever Delaney's on the court, the Hawks are much better. Uh, that number has come down a little bit recently, and that, that has to be said, so you know there's still, there's still some small sample size noise in that particular number, but Delaney has been good uh, with the second unit in terms of uh, overall impact. Uh, defensively, I would say his impact is about what I expected. He's, he's an average-ish defender. There's some matchups in which he can be really exposed, and that's not, not terribly surprising in my opinion. But at the same time, uh, he's, he's he's okay on the end of the court. I firmly believe that he's much better shooter than uh, you know at the beginning at the beginning of this, this little section. I said you know 20.6 percent from three. Uh, I expect him to be much much better than that. He was a 40 percent three-point shooter or so in Europe. You know, and while I wasn't expecting that, I expect him to some you know at the end of the year or at least the end of a couple of years here. I think he's somewhere in the mid 30s in terms of a shooter, so 21% up to uh, that, you, you know, you can probably sense some, some progression coming uh, for a guy like Delaney, so hopefully that, that comes to fruition sooner rather than later. Uh, I like his game quite a bit. Uh, I'm going I'm to give Delaney a C plus only because I think I had higher, higher expectations than most. I think he's been pretty good, but the individual numbers are uh, as such where uh, if you didn't watch the team and simply looked at the box score and sort of the numbers in basketball reference, you might cringe, uh, at least in terms of his individual performances, if you did not look at the team-based you know, on-off metrics and those kind of things. So Delaney's been pretty decent, and I'll give him a C plus on the year. Before we get into the wings and then eventually to the big man, I do want to talk to you though about our sponsor for today's show and that sponsor is betdsi.com. Do you love basketball? Are you ready to get in on the action? Check out betdsi.com. The website has more than 20 years in the business and it is one of the top rated sites in the industry. It is safe, the lines are up to date, and perhaps best of all, betdsi.com has a great basketball-centric special running right now that I want to tell you all about. Sign up today and get $10 free just to try their service. Yes, you were hearing that correctly, $10 free dollars. 
In addition to the free money, BetDSI is also offering a 100% bonus on your first deposit with the site, and that is, of course, a fantastic deal. BetDSI has phenomenal, has phenomenal customer service, fast and easy payment of winnings, and hundreds of football, basketball, baseball, and MMA wagers to choose from with other sports and props, including auto racing, golf, hockey, and much, much more. For good measure, BetDSI even has live in-game wagering on all football, basketball, and other major sporting events, and you can play virtually everything on the site. Go to BetDSI.com now, that is B-E-T-D-S-I.com, to try the site today, and you can use the promo code HAWKS10, that's H-A-W-K-S-1-0, to get your free wager and start winning today. Go to BetDSI.com right now and put in HAWKS10, that's HAWKS10, to get your free wager and get things going right away. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. Thanks again to BetDSI for sponsoring today's show, as always, and uh, we'll get back into the uh, report card. Uh, we'll, we'll move on to the wings now. It's much more of a mixed bag. I think point guard's been, uh, if not a strength, at least something that was not a weakness so far for the Hawks in terms of what we thought coming into the year. There's The wings, though, are not all, are not all necessarily fitting in that category, and we'll start with uh, what, I, what I think is the lowest grade on the wing, and that is Kent Bazemore. Uh, Bazemore, uh, you know, not not great. I think we all know that at this point. The Hawks are minus 5.7 points per 100 possessions when he plays this season. Defensively, there have been some quality moments from Bazemore, but I think the overall product for me is absolutely worse than the previous couple of years with the Hawks on that end of the floor. You know, some of that's probably an, an increased role in the offense, and, you know, lately he's not been healthy with a knee issue. But uh, before that, you know, defensively, I think Bazemore's taken a step back. Uh, it's a small sample. Hopefully that, hopefully that will correct itself. But to this point, I think he's been a disappointment defensively. Uh, offensively, we all know the story at this point. You know, 35.3% from the floor, 28.3% from three-point range. Those are dismal numbers, to be sure. Um, you know, I think they're probably unsustainably low, but still, we, we're kind of reporting on what's happened so far, and it's not been good in the shooting department. Last year, Bazemore averaged nine field goal attempts per 36 minutes. Uh, sorry, that was two years ago. Last year, 12.5 field goal attempts per 36 minutes. This year, up to 14.9. I think he's absolutely pressing. I've, I've said that over and over again offensively. I think he's forcing his own offense. And with that, um, his efficiency is, is dipping. Uh, he has a 22.2% usage rate. That's also a career high. His assist rate is up. That's a good thing. But his rebound rate is also way, way down. And that you kind of, you know, his overall floor game has been a disappointment. Uh, 9.6 PER is pretty indicative of just how bad Bazemore has been. I think this year, and I'm not terribly worried in the sense that I'm convinced that he's definitely better than this. But you know, any talk of a step forward from last year has pretty well evaporated at this point. I would certainly uh, think most Hawks fans would just take you know even 90% of what he did last year at this point versus what he's done so far. So any any thought that he might get suddenly better at age 27 is probably out the window now. And I think you know my grade that I settled on for Kent. Is a D minus. Uh, that's pretty harsh, I think. But you know, Bazemore is hopefully going to be improving as the season comes along. But to this point in time, it's hard to judge him anything but harshly for what he's done um, so far over 25 games. 
Uh, next on the list is Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, he has a career-high 13.7 PER and assist rate that's up to 12.3%, which is not, not great, but certainly an improvement for Tim. And he's, he's converting a, a, very, a very, very good 59.2% of his two-point field goal attempts. That's a very efficient rate for Tim defensively. I think he's taken a step forward this season. He's um, what I, I would I would term as a nearing league average uh, on the wing, which is a ma- you know I'm not, I may not sound like much, but that's a massive improvement for a guy that uh, was you know when he when he arrived last year was basically unplayable defensively in my mind. You know that's kind of all he needs to be is league average ish defensively to be a rotation player. I think there's still moments of weakness we've seen some of those lately uh, as the Hawks team defense has really struggled. But uh, there, you know the vast improvement is definitely there. For Tim, uh, we talked about a three-point shooting extensively, so I don't want to spend too much time on that now. But 30.3% from three this season—that's pretty discouraging, coming off of a 34% clip last year. Although you know his shot still looks good, but uh, you know he's already attempted 119 threes. This season, he only attempted 142 all of last year in his first season with the, with the Hawks. So he's getting shots up, and hopefully, you know, the sample size is, is small enough now where we can hopefully see him uh, make it make an improvement. But I'm I'm pretty skeptical, as everybody knows, about his shooting for whatever reason. It always looks good, but just not it's not has been it's not been falling for Tim, and hopefully that will uh, flip around if you are the Hawks. I'm not sure anybody could have rationally expected him to be better, honestly, than he's been this season, given what he had done in the past. Uh, with the exception of three-point shooting, you know, it's 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 been a pretty pretty strong 25-game sample for Hardaway, and I'm, I'll be the first one to admit that that he's he's definitely outshot my expectations in terms of his overall play. And with that, I'm going to give him an A minus. That's an A minus for Tim Hardaway Jr. And everybody who listens to this uh, was probably shaking their head as, as they listened to me say positive things about Tim Hardaway Jr. But he's been better than I expected, and that's what we're doing here today. So an A minus for Tim. Uh, next is Kyle Korver. Uh, Korver, I think, has been, you know, statistically at least, extremely similar to last year across the board, which is not great considering the fact that he was, it was considered to be a down year for Kyle a year ago. But, you know, he's 35 years old, so it's not the biggest surprise in the world that he would have taken another step back. But uh, I will say he's still the only knockdown shooter on the team. He's the only guy on the roster aside from Mike Muscala that is over 40%, and the only one of the wings above 40% from three. And the uh, the Hawks definitely need that production, but I think his defense has slipped visibly, in my opinion. You know, I think he still has quality moments in team defense, but his individual stuff, especially lately, is uh, showing signs of decline. Uh, not not a shock. He's he's probably lost a half step athletically into his mid thirties, so not a huge surprise. But uh, I would go from I still will defend Kyle as not an atrocious defender by any means, but the weaknesses are starting to show through uh, with more and more uh, evidence here that he's probably not the same guy that he used to be even a year or two ago. Um, his turnover rate uh, has been falling recently, but still a career-high 16% turnover rate for Corver, which is a bit weird and I, I think fluky, but still troubling uh, with this much data. I, 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 you know, I have, I have an extremely hard time believing that, that the team's best offensive lineup would not have Kyle on the court because of the fact that he's the best shooter on the team by a wide margin. But for me, I'm starting to come around to the fact that he's not the player he used to be, and it's becoming more di- more difficult to just sort of defend him uh, blindly. I still think he's a valuable piece of the puzzle for the Hawks, but uh, that pro- the guy who from two three years ago is not going to be coming back at this point. I'm pretty sure. Uh, you know, his shooting could could progress a little bit more. I think he's could still capable of shooting somewhere in the you know the low mid 40s. That would not surprise me. But in terms of overall floor game, I think Kyle is kind of what he is at this point, which is not necessarily great for the Hawks who need him to be better than this. But 
but uh, I think it's uh, it's certainly possible. This is this is just who he is now. He can still be he'll still be a valuable player, but not not necessarily the guy he was even like a year and a half ago. So I'll, I'll give Kyle a C minus. You know, I was kind of expecting him to take a, a small step back uh, in a couple of areas, and that's and that's happened. But I think below average, if, if only slightly, for Kyle. Next on the list is Tabo Cephalosha. Uh, I think Cephalosha has been unequivocally the best wing. On the Hawks roster this season, uh, in, the, in an overall sense, you know, defensively, he's easily the best wing on the team. It's hard to overstate how important he's been defensively. And even when the Hawks were bad recently, it really wasn't Cephalosha having uh, his own individual issues on the defensive end. He's very, very good there. Uh, offensively, he came out of the gate really playing very, very well early on and really helping the second unit alongside Mike Muscala and Malcolm Delaney really dominate. But his shooting has cratered recently. Um, Cephalosha was, th- was shooting 35% from three over the, over the first nine or ten games of the season. And since then, he's down to 18% over a 13-game sample for him. That is obviously pretty dismal. And a 25.6 overall three-point percentage. I don't think he's that bad as a three-point shooter, but I think at this point we kind of know that Tabo is not going to be a good shooter. That's his one real knock because offensively, I think he's been pretty aggressive putting the ball on the floor and kind of even even getting others involved, done a good job in that. So the shooting is worrisome, um, but you know I think it's he's at least capable of shooting 30-ish percent from three. That's kind of all he needs to do to, uh, for everything else that he does quality on the court. I think you can't ask for much more from Tabo than you have from the first 25 games. You know, the shooting would be nice, but aside from that, he's been great. And uh, I'm going to give him an A- minus because Tabo has been, as I said before, phenomenal. Uh, last but not least, in terms of wings, in terms of guys who have actually played enough minutes to get grades, uh, Torian Prince. I'm gonna, I'm, I hesitate to even grade him off of 178 minutes at the time of this podcast. But especially with a decent chunk of those coming in absolute garbage time uh, when he was not in the rotation and really just playing when games were out of hand. But, um, you know, we have we have some data, so I want to at least talk some about Prince here. Uh, he's not been shy about shooting the ball. He's shooting uh, almost five three-point attempts per 36 minutes and not really making them at a high level, you know, 29%. Not a surprise. I think Prince is a guy who I worry about a little bit as a shooter. I think he'll progress as he gets more and more reps at the NBA level, but not a knockdown guy right now. Defensively, though, you can see what the Hawks like about him. You know, he's always energetic. He's very big and physical, uh, kind of in a mold that, uh, that nobody else on the team can really bring in terms of physicality. So that, that's very nice. I don't, I don't think he's not. I don't think he's ready to contribute actually. You know, on a full time basis to a real playoff team. But in the same breath, you know, he brings things to the table that nobody else can, and that's a good thing. And you know, I'd be okay with playing him more often. I've kind of been pointing in that direction lately, and I think he's uh, a guy who should, who should see more and more playing time, especially. If the Hawks are not, you know, being down the door of a top four C, which I'm pretty skeptical about, so more and more time for Prince to develop would be an interesting thing. And in terms of grade, you know, I gave him one. I'm gonna give him a B, uh, but I think it's kind of it's kind of hard it's kind of hard to really judge him from what we've seen so far. But I think he's uh, probably slightly exceeded my expectations, even just in this small sample size. So I will give Torian a B. The other guy, of course, is DeAndre Bembrew, who I'm going to give an incomplete. He's only played 44 minutes, has not played really an entire all season long. He's not, he's not played in a single game that finished with a single digit margin in either way. So it's basically been all garbage time for Bembrew. He's looked very, very good in the D League and the two games that I've seen him play down there on tape. He looked very, very good, and he, and he probably should as a first round pick. But we don't have a ton of info right now. That's kind of all I'm going to say about DeAndre. 
Uh, with that in mind, it's time to move to the uh, to the big men. But before that, I do want to talk to you a little bit about the Lockdown Network and some other things that have happened. Uh, you know, the Lockdown Network is a, a huge thing. You guys should be dialed in on. Obviously, the Hawks are a uh, this, this podcast is a member of that network. If you not know that already, if you're a new listener, the Lockdown the Lockdown Podcast Network uh, has one show for every single NBA team. They also have one show for every single NFL team. I am an Atlanta I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan. And uh, I am I am a subscriber and a downloader and a listener to the Locked On Falcons podcast. And Aaron Freeman, Alan Stirk do a great job on that show. Uh, if you have an, if you have a favorite football team, whether it be the Falcons or somebody else, dial in on that. Or if you have a second favorite uh, NBA team, or just want to listen to about the league in general, the Locked On NBA podcast with David Locke, who be, who started the network, the, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, would certainly be a guy you want to uh, keep an eye on. And that Locked On NBA podcast is very very valuable. Uh, so I want to take a moment to just talk to you about that just a little bit and uh, definitely check that out. Find a, find a show or two that you're interested in. Subscribe. Uh, give us some feedback and tell us what we can do better. But we appreciate everybody listening. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code BOOM to get $30 off your first month. That's BOOM. Talkspace.com slash BOOM. B-O-O-M. All right, now it's time to move on to the big men. And uh, the first guy is also the best player on the team, and that guy is Paul Millsap. Um, Millsap, <clears throat> it's been sort of a mixed bag for Paul in that he's still very, very good. There's no question about that. Um, but his three-point shooting has been, for whatever reason, a problem over the last two seasons or so. Uh, he's taken more than 300 three-pointers over the last two seasons. He's made only 31.7% of them. Might be a new norm for whatever reason for Paul. He had a two-year sample there before that where he was making 35-36%. But for whatever reason now he's struggling. I think his shot looks about the same as it used to. But uh, whether it be less, uh, you know, less quality looks, especially this season, I think is that's part of it. But the shooting uh, does limit him a little bit offensively. You know, he's still very, very crafty in the mid-range and very, very good in the post when he's given that opportunity. But uh, Paul's shooting has been a bit of a concern for me. He's second in the entire NBA, regardless of position, though, in terms of defensive real plus minus by ESPN. Uh, that's, no, that's no surprise. I think Paul is one of the best defenders in the entire league. Last year, he was a worthy inclusion on an, all, on, on an all-defensive team. I think he's actually been slightly worse defensively this year than he was last year, which is going to seem like heresy given the number that I just said to you. But um, you know, part of that is just you know, it's a small, it's a small sample. He's had a couple of games where I didn't think he was playing up to his personal level defensively. But I think he's still an incredibly good defender who is uh, on pace to be potentially another all def- all defensive team selection, especially if the Hawks can keep up this high level of defensive uh, performance that they had early on in the year. You know, before this this latest swoon. You know, his per 36 numbers across the board are very slightly down from a year ago. I think he's still solidly been a top 25 or 30 player in the NBA this year. But Paul, you know, there's there's some concerns for me in terms of fit um, on the offensive end, especially with Dwight Howard and how that might negatively affect Paul in terms of getting him a lack of space. That's something I've talked about a couple times on the podcast. That could be part of the reason why his offensive numbers are down just a tick in terms of efficiency. But make make no mistake, I said it at the top of this, but he's the best player on the team. By a pretty wide margin, I think you know there are Dwight Howard fans out there, and Dwight's had a you know a Hall of Fame level career, so there's no reason to disparage Dwight in any way. And we'll get to him in a minute. 
But I think, you know, judging by their current performance, Paul is the best player on the team, and I don't think it's particularly close. So I'm going to give Paul a B. This is kind of what we know he is. Obviously, you know, he's the best player, but we kind of I'm judging on a on a on a curve again. So I think Paul <clears throat> again is it's, it's sort of tough to give him an A because he's not been quite as good as he was last year. But a B, there's nothing wrong with that for Paul Millsap. Next on the agenda, um, Mike Muscala. You know, first and foremost, there have been some defensive issues with Mike Muscala to the point where the team is being outscored by about five points per 100 possessions with him on the court. Most of that is defensive-minded uh, as, the, as the Hawks' net, uh, defensive rating has been pretty ugly with Mike, especially lately on the floor. You know, part of that, I think, is who's playing with him, especially when Paul Millsap's off the court, his numbers go into the tank. Uh, I think you can look at that. Um, but, you know, I will say that Mike's not a great defender uh, by any means, especially at the center position. Um, Muscala does, not, does have the utility, and this is a positive thing, that he could credibly play both power forward and center, and that's something that I've, I've stand for him on recently is that he's so versatile, uh, both defensively and offensively, but I don't think he's really a quality rib protector in the way that, because he's uh, giving up a lot of physicality. Mike's not the strongest guy in the world. He has improved in that area, but not, not the traditional you know, rib protecting center that's going to kind of physically dominate around the rim. So there are some defensive weakness, but I don't think he's a defensive problem, though. I think he's average, maybe a little bit below average defensively, but not a huge, massive problem. But I wanted to get out in front of that because his offense has been phenomenal throughout the year. You know, he's shooting 55% from the floor this season. Uh, Mike, Mike is also making 46% of his threes, which is a crazy number. I don't think he's a true 46% three-point shooter. That's not going out on a limb, if you ask me. But there's a chance that he's actually quite a good shooter, given the way that he's shooting the ball with confidence and the way that his stroke looks very good. Uh, if you looked at the end of the year and he was shooting you know, high 30s, 40% from three, given this hot start, I would not be surprised at all. And I think he is certainly a threat because, look, he's only shooting shots when he's open. And that's that, that allows a guy who's actually a quality shooter to maintain a high percentage because Muscala doesn't have the incentive to go out and force threes take take contested shots he's going he's going to be given open shots until he people adjust their scouting report on him and until then Provided he still shoots at this level, he's going to be able to pad his stats and he's going to be able to do just that this season. He has a 15.7 PER. That's about what I actually think he is uh, worthy of at this point. You know, Early in the year, he had a PER over 20 for about the first 10 or 12 games. That was unsustainable just as long. The, the entire bench was kind of out of their minds early on, and that went for Mescalo as well. But he's been able to carry over the offensive production after that. You know, The defense, as I talked about earlier, I, I slipped a little bit, but I think Muscala has done a very, very good job. He's uh, the number 22 uh, ranked power forward in the league, according to RPM. Uh, you know he's probably not that good, but he's still he's certainly been an above average backup this season for the Hawks, and that's all you can expect him to be given his contract and what he's done in the past. So I will give Muscala a B plus, and this is a guy that I very much like, and the Hawks have a very interesting decision to make on Muscala, given that he's an unrestricted free agent, and we'll definitely be talking about that a great deal between now and July. Uh, next on the agenda is Chris Humphreys, <clears throat> a guy who I'm sure my listeners understand that not, I'm not the biggest fan of. Uh, we'll, start with a, we'll start with a negative on Humphreys. Uh, he's the only player on the team with a worse than a minus 6.2 net rating. Humphreys is at minus 10.9 points per 100 possessions when the team, uh, as, far, as far as the team is concerned, when he's on the court. That is obviously very, very not good. The offense, when, he's, when he plays, is one of the bottom three in the league uh, on a, uh, a per-possession basis. And the defense would be bottom five 
in the league on a per possession basis with him on the court. You know, he's he's a sub 50% true shooting guy. He doesn't really do anything particularly well offensively. That's the short end of the stick. You know, Humphreys can shoot a jump shot a little bit, but not not as well as you would like uh, for a guy who really doesn't do much else. You know, he's a good rebounder. That's the one positive thing. And the one thing that I've always said that Humphreys is definitely a, you know above league average at doing is rebounding. Uh, he's the, he has the only player on the team outside of Dwight Howard with a rebounding rate north of 14%. So we know that he can do that. That's the one area in which he's actually better than Muscala is rebounding. But you know I sort of understand having him around for depth, but he's not really good enough as a rim protector defensively to play you know functionally as a legitimate center. But at power forward, he gives up a lot in terms of foot speed and lateral lateral quickness and that kind of stuff. You know. He's not really used to playing on the perimeter all that much. And offensively, he does provide a little bit of spacing, but he also takes some shots that he really has no business taking, and that contributes to his uh, lack of efficiency offensively. I don't want to kill Humphreys because, look, it's a one-year deal. It's fairly cheap. He's a veteran. I understand why they did that, but to, to have him around for depth, and I get all that. But I, I don't think he's a guy who should be in the rotation, quite honestly, from what we saw so far this season. He's number 88 out of 93 qualified power forwards in ESPN's RPM metric. That is very damning, uh, obviously. I don't think he's quite that bad, to be honest, but I don't think he's an average player in the NBA, to be honest. Again, to be honest with you, and I'm pretty sure um, all things equal, the team would be better off if he was not in the rotation. Uh, that's going to seem all like very, very negative, and I'm trying to keep the negativity out of this podcast, but Humphreys is just not a guy that I really think has uh, any business being in the rotation. We'll see how, how long he can stay in it, especially if a guy like Mike Scott could come back. But uh, for now, I'm going to give Humphreys a D-plus on the year. I think uh, even for my expectations, he's probably been a little bit worse than that this season. And uh, maybe a C-minus, somewhere in there. You know, that's kind of the same grade, to be honest. But, uh, you know, if you want to take the nicer approach and give him a C-minus, then that's fine with me. But I think he's been below average from what I expect. And given that C is considered to be pretty much average, I will go with a C-minus slash D-plus for Humphreys. Couple of guys who are basically having incompletes on the season. Ryan Kelly has played only 39 minutes, uh, all in garbage time, to be honest. I like Ryan Kelly. But uh, I think he's easily the number 15 guy on this roster. He'd be the guy that they moved on from first. You know, Chris Vivamore recently said that in an AJC uh, mailback that he ran. Um, you know, if the team had to pick up a point guard off the scrap heap somewhere, it would be Kelly that was probably the logical choice to move on from. That's something I've been saying. I, I continue to like Ryan Kelly. And honestly, I think it's at least uh, possible that he would be better than Chris Humphreys. That's a crazy thing to say. And I, I don't think it's likely necessarily, but I think it's something that if Humphreys continues to struggle to this degree and Mike Scott cannot get back in the lineup anytime soon. Uh, it would be interesting to see if they if they elected to go with Kelly at some point. But in, until then, as an incomplete for Ron Kelly, and then Tiago Splitter has obviously not played a single minute all season long. I uh, wish he had, and we'll see if if and when if, if and when he returns. But uh, Splitter is a guy I have high hopes for if he can ever get back on the court and be reasonably healthy. But nothing too great on there. And also Mike Scott, uh, he has played a couple of times for the Atlanta Hawks, so it's not like he has not played at all. But he was certainly not ready to go. He's currently in the D League, and he'll be back soon, I'm sure. But nothing to evaluate him on either. That leaves one guy, and of course we saved the uh, the biggest and best for last on this podcast. Uh, we will end things with Dwight Howard. Certainly the most, the most controversial player over the last six months or so for the Hawks. Ever since the day that, that the team signed him, people's uh, hot takes are out, including myself. I was not a huge fan of that signing, but uh, you know, to be, to, be, to be frank at the start of this thing, 
Dwight has exceeded my expectations. That's the easiest way to put it. He's been better than I thought he would be. The team has a positive net rating with him on the court, uh, largely on the back of a sub-100 defensive rating. The Hawks have been very, very good defensively with Dwight on the court, which is not surprising. He's a good defensive basketball player. Uh, offensively, I have my own issues with, with Howard. We'll get to those in a second. But defensively, he's very, very good. There's no question about that. He has the highest total rebound rate of his career, which is a staggering number considering how good he's been for so long. He's leading the NBA an offensive rebounding rate, which is really the biggest change from his early, even from his early career stuff. Uh, he was always a dominant defensive rebounder. He's actually not quite as good defensive rebounding as he was during his prime, which is not a shock, but offensively, he's the only guy that's crashing, which allows him to really pad his offensive rebounding stats, and because the team has not really shot the ball well, there's there's more misses also for Howard to go out and get. Um, so but it's, it's interesting. Uh, he's been very, very good defense on, on, the re, on the glass throughout the year. That was the one thing that we kind of knew he'd be better at than his uh, the guy he's replacing in Horford, and he's certainly been that. Howard's been you know one of the two or three best rebounders in the entire league, so that's worth mentioning. Uh, you know his his raw numbers. He's averaging 13.8 points and 12.5 rebounds per game, also 1.5 blocks per game. He has his highest true shooting percentage in five years. Part of that is that he's taking uh, quality shots for the most part. You know, offensively, he is limited in my opinion, but he's been active as a pick and roll finisher at times this season. His post work, you know, only scoring point, you know 0.71 points per per possession in the post, which is very, very not good. But the numbers in terms of volume are not as big as you might think they are. They're frustrating when they post him up because he's just not very good at it. But the Hawks have done a good job of limiting that for the most part. Um, I think he's slightly overrated, honestly, in, de- in terms of defensive impact right now. But that's only because he's been, you know, treated at least by some people as this like savior of the defense. And I don't think he's been that, but he's certainly an above-average player, as I said before, on the defensive end. The rebounding really, really helps quite a bit. I do think the Hawks, though, are worse defensively on the whole than they were last year, at least so far this season. Obviously, in the early going, it looked as if they might be better, but last year, I think people forget just how good this defense was without Horford. And obviously, you know, Jeff Teague as well contributed to that and the way that they were able to play this scrambling style. They've uh, We've seen some cracks in that recently as they've been trying to force turnovers uh, in, in a more sustainable way, and uh, they've allowed a lot of open shots as a result when they do not get turnovers. Part of that is because Howard's just not as mobile as Horford, but that's not his fault, and honestly, I think the co- it's on the coaching staff to some, to some extent to game plan better around Dwight on the defensive end. We'll see if that happens in the very near future, but in terms of the individual performance from Howard, I think he's been very good on that end of the court. Uh, last thing on the offense, he's an 18.9% turnover rate. That is very, very high, especially for a center. His passing has not been good. Uh, that's one of my bigger knocks on him. Uh, it's more of a subtle one because, obviously, uh, big men do not have to pass uh, you know, as regularly as a guy who's playing on the perimeter, but Howard's passing has really not been very good. That's one of my knocks for him in the post is that he's not very good at passing out of it. And his turnover rate is very, very high. Hopefully that will come down. Um, that is a number that is, that is definitely uh, troubling. Um, it's tough to say that, again, and that Howard's individual play has not exceeded expectations, at least for me. But I also think, you know, some of the talk about him being an all-star is a bit overblown. I think, you know, if the Hawks got one all-star, which seems to be um, the most likely scenario, it's, it'll either be zero or one, considering how they are playing so far. My guy would be Paul Millsap ahead of Dwight Howard, as I've said a couple of times here. But Dwight's been Dwight's been good. I've been pleased with his individual play. And uh, while there are several knocks on this team right now, uh, his individual play is not one of them. I do think there's some, you know, overall scheme stuff that he makes the team 
worse to have him around versus the previous regime. And also, you know, there's it's just the, it's just there's, there's some organizational, you know, GM front office for for basic stuff and the philosophy stuff with signing Dwight to the deal they did that I have some concerns with. But I will remove myself from those thoughts. For this for this particular podcast, and say that I th- I'm going to give Dwight a B, maybe even a B plus somewhere in that range for his play so far. And uh, I'm not sure the Hawks can ask for much more out of a guy like Howard, uh, given his age, than than what he's done so far. So uh, in terms of that, uh, Dwight has been very very good this season. Hopefully you guys enjoyed uh, this first edition. We'll probably do this again at some point, uh, you know, maybe maybe around the All Star break for a midseason report, and then maybe uh, somewhere in the uh, for the before the final quarter of the season, a another report card check in just to kind of check out where we are. But I hope you guys enjoyed this one. It's a little bit longer than we normally go, especially when I'm by myself. But uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Check out the Locked On Hawks the Locked On Hawks podcast. Obviously that you're listening to now. Subscribe to it. Check out the entire Locked On Network. Follow me on Twitter at bt roland. Follow the podcast. Podcast on Twitter at Locked On Hawks or also on Facebook at Locked On Hawks or on email if you have a question, lockedonhawks at gmail.com. Find us there, find us everywhere. And as always, guys, thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for tomorrow's show.